0: Good evening. It's 8 o'clock in Yerushalayim. Time to begin our regular shiur.
1: We're talking about uh, uh, the uh, subject of fun, what the great rabbis have to say about having fun. And let's review quickly uh, what it is we know from last time. Last time, we were looking at the opinion, we were looking at the approach of Isser Zalman Meltzer, the great uh, Rosh Shiva, originally uh, from Europe made his way to Yerushalayim, became the great Rosh Yeshiva here in Yerushalayim
0: in Eitzchayim. Let's see if I can get his opinion on the screen again. It's coming, it's coming. Yeah, uh, this is what we were looking at at the very end of our previous Shi'ur. Uh,
1: he said... One must be careful. One must be precise, because the Rambam wrote that there is a din miuchad b'melech, a special law pertaining to the king. The king is the person who, kol yemei throughout his entire life, is required to carry a safer Torah with him, because he must devote himself full time to uh, spiritual matters. He's the, he's the king, the spiritual leader of the people. And therefore, the king is not allowed to have any spare time devoted to going to the movies, playing chess, attending a performance of Shakespeare, or a violin concerto, or anything else. The king must be fully devoted to the spiritual needs of his people, and therefore the king has to study Torah and engage in mitzvahs at every possible moment of the day. This we saw last time. This was the opinion of Rav Izzamun that His opinion, that's what the post can say. I mean, that's what it says in the Mishnah. That's what it says in the Gebarah. That's what the Rambam says. The king has that obligation. And Rav Izzamun also concluded, that's a special law pertaining to the king. Of Al Hediot, an ordinary citizen, uh, anyone aside from the king, is allowed to enjoy himself or herself. Everyone is allowed to enjoy himself or herself, except for the king. The king is not allowed to take any time out from his uh, burdensome duties just to have fun, just to enjoy himself. Even though an ordinary person just taking time out to enjoy himself Means that he, he or she is refraining from Torah and Mitzvahs for a moment. He or she is refraining from Torah and Mitzvahs during the period that you attend the concert or the, or the play, or you play chess or you read a novel or whatever it is. Still, aside from the king, ordinary people are allowed to do that. <inaudible> It's it's inevitable that that dealing with fun, enjoying yourself, is going to divert you from Torah and mitzvahs. But if you're not a king, it's okay. Aside from the king, ordinary people like you and me, ordinary people are allowed to refrain from Torah and mitzvahs. Ordinary people are allowed to divert themselves from Torah and mitzvahs. Ordinary people are allowed to engage in entertainment, something enjoyable, something fun, aside from Torah and mitzvahs. They're allowed to do that if there's some shibah, if there's some reason they're doing it. They're not purposely canceling their engagement in Torah and mitzvahs. They were engaged in Torah and mitzvahs. They're going to be engaged in Torah and mitzvahs a little bit later, but at the moment, Uh, just having fun at the moment, just enjoying themselves, and that's fine for anyone except for the king. The king is not allowed to do that. The king must be fully engaged, fully engaged with tarad mitzvahs. Well, it follows, therefore, that here we have one more source, one more reason, and we've seen plenty of sources so far, but this is one more in the long list of sources of great rabbis, and there was no Rosh Hashem greater than Isuzelman Meltzer, uh, 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 giving his stamp of approval to activities which lead you to divert yourself temporarily from Torah and mitzvahs in order to enjoy whatever it is you enjoy doing, and then you'll return to Torah and mitzvahs later. Now, let's turn to new material. That was what we ended with last time.
0: Let's turn to new material. There's this uh, passage in the Gemara in Brachas. Yeah, what do I know about the environment of a pool hall? I really really don't know. Bowling
1: alleys. Bowling alleys are okay. Well, I don't know about, I don't know. I I took my children and grandchildren to bowling alleys. But I guess there are different bowling alleys in the world. I don't know. But, uh, of course... Uh, of course, if we're talking about going to a place where there is some specific prohibition about going there, then, then there's going to be trouble. But, but let, let's save that discussion. I hope we're going to get to it today. If we don't get to, get to it today, we're surely going to get to it next week. Let's save this discussion for bo- of bowling alleys and pool halls. Let's save it for when we come to talk about circuses because uh, the, the post-Gemara, the from the Gemara on down, the can do speak a lot about circuses, and when we see what they say about circuses, and I hope we get to it today. If not, I promise next week. Then, then you'll understand why it's okay in general uh, to play pool and bowling. But well, let's leave the discussion for the, the sources on circuses. Here's the Gemara in Brachas, which uh, uh, which is uh, a pivotal a pivotal Gemara. Even though the Gemara is so short, it's only a few words. It, it turns out. That this short passage in the Gemara has vast implications. Rav Kahana, one of the great rabbis of the Gemara. Well, you know that's the deal. Like saying one of the great plays of Shakespeare. You know, like they were all great. Of course, all the rabbis of the Gemara were great, but he was one of the greater of the greats. Rav Kahana in the Gemara, Al entered. Al is just the Aramaic word for entered. Gana tute puria rav. Rav Kahana entered into the house of rav. He snuck in. Rav Kahana snuck into the house of rav, his teacher. Rav, the great rav of the Gemara. Rav Kahana snuck into his teacher's house, his rebbe's house. Hid himself under his rebbe's bed. Okay, you know, like like this is the sort of stuff that a. the, the the movie could be made out of. The Talmud sneaks into the Rebbe's house and hides himself under the Rebbe's bed. That's what happened. Shame, the Talmud, Rav Kahana, heard him, heard his teacher, heard Rav, Tishak, who was having a conversation, the Sihik and was playing around The Asat Sorachav and did his thing. This is the polite way that the Gemara says that he was hiding under the bed while his teacher, Rav, and his teacher's wife, Mrs. Rav, were engaged in marital, uh, in, in conjugal intercourse. And he was listening to what they were talking about, and they had some frivolous conversation. They had, uh, you know, they weren't talking about Torah. They they weren't talking about uh, uh, the Pshat in Rashi or the Tosafis while they were engaged in marital intercourse with each other, and. Uh, that's what Rav Kahana wanted to hear. Rav Kahana wanted to hear what did his Rebbe speak about with his wife? What was the conversation about when they were in bed together? And the Gemara reports that it was not a conversation of Torah. Rashi on the Gemara says flat out, im ishto, Rav, the teacher, was talking with his wife. He was together with his wife in bed. And it was an innocent, frivolous conversation. Shalritzui Tashmish. They were talking about, you know, what husbands and wives do to do with each other when they're in bed. That's what they were talking about. What else would you expect them to talk about? Not the Pshat Rashi, not the Pshat, Imrashi, not the Pshat They were talking about what husbands and wives do, do together when they're together in bed. Uh, he did his, his thing. Well, that means... Uh, Rashi says flat out, in case you misunderstood the polite words of the Gemara, that means uh, he was engaged in marital intercourse with his wife. That's what, that's what was happening here. You shouldn't uh, uh, misunderstand the polite terminology of the Gemara. And that is quite a remarkable thing, you see. You, know, you see, uh, Rav, <coughs> the great teacher of the Gemara, Rav engaged. In frivolous conversation, with, when he was together in bed with his wife at night, and Rakhahana, the Talmud reports this to us. He knows about it because he was hiding underneath the bed, listening to what was happening uh, uh, at, at that occasion. Well, wow. <laughs> this is this is very interesting Gemara, isn't it? Let's see what the great poskim have to say about this Gemara. Let's look first at Rambam. Uh, you know, Rambam. Is uh, you know eighty five at least eighty five percent of the time maybe ninety five percent of the time at least eighty five percent of the time, Rambam's understanding of the Gemara is exactly the understanding which all of the great postkin embrace. You know, like there's maybe 15, 10, 15% of the time when Rambam is not in the mainstream of thinking of the great Posken. But uh, well, in this case, he is. In this case, he surely is, as 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 almost always. Let's see how the Rambam understands the passage in the Gemara that we just looked at. These are the words of the Rambam. yarbe adam pishtika. It's always better to keep your mouth closed. Silence is always a good policy. Better keep your mouth closed. That's what the Rambam says. Uh, it's better not to speak. If you, if it, it's better to limit your speech to matters of Hokma, matters of wisdom, whether it's uh, Torah wisdom or lahav dil. Uh, chemistry or economics or sociology or physics but uh, it, it's better it, as much as you can to reduce your speech to limit your speech to speech of hochma or or things which you need for daily life uh, uh, please remember to buy tomatoes when you're in the store, or, or what should I buy in the store when I'm going there? You know, it, it, Rambam, Rambam was a big believer in, in the, the importance of intellect. Rambam was a great believer in the importance of intelligence, and therefore, he said, it's of greater value if you limit your conversation, limit your, your speech to matters of wisdom. Or wisdom, or a half deal secular
0: wisdom, or things that you, things that you actually need. Uh, uh, yeah, how much do the tomatoes cost? Yeah. Then the Rambam says, and here comes his interpretation of the
1: Gemara passage we just looked at. Amru al Rav. They said about Rav in the Gemara we just looked at. They said about Rav. Talmid Rabenu Kodesh, who was himself a disciple of Rabenu Kodesh, the creator of the Mishnah, they say that he Rav never engaged in useless, frivolous conversation. Zohi Most people do engage in frivolous, unimportant conversation. Well, well, well. You see, uh, uh, according to Rambam, that speech—the words that came out of Rav's mouth when he was together with his wife in bed—that was not um, That was not frivolous, useless talk. That—that—that that, that was speech connected to Torah and mitzvahs, because after all, one of the mitzvot of marriage is providing uh, sexual fulfillment for the spouse. Since that's one of the mitzvahs, one of the Torah mitzvahs of marriage, uh, the, what Rav spoke about was not was not a diversion from Torah and mitzvahs at all. It was part of his fulfillment of the mitzvah, one of the elements of the mitzvah of marriage. Chayav through his whole life he never he Rav never had any frivolous conversation and, and what the Talmud overheard under the bed that was part that was part of the fulfillment of the mitzvah of marriage one of the mitzvahs which pertains between the spouses in in every marriage well that was Rav and if the question is if we ask the question. Is there some merit? Is it commendable? Is it praiseworthy uh, to to uh, refrain entirely from frivolous speech, frivolous conversation? Is it, is it stupid? Is it foolish? Is it, is, it, is it crazy to refrain from frivolous speech? Uh, the answer, according to the Rambam, is oh, there's something to it. There's there some value. There is some value in people who, who live on a very high spiritual plane, there is some value in these people, To like Rav, not, the, uh, not all the other rabbis in the Gemara, but Rav was on such a high spiritual level, unlike the other rabbis in the Gemara, that he never engaged in frivolous conversation. And that, 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 that's something good for someone who can accomplish that. That's not something to sneer at. That's not something to mock. That's not something uh, to make fun of. That's, uh, that, that's something definitely praiseworthy. But that, that, that's only for, uh, of all the rabbis of the Gemara. And they were the greats. They were the Torah greats of all times. Of all the rabbis of the Gemara, one of them achieved that level uh, for ordinary people like you and me. Well, well, I, of course, am spiritually perfect. I, I, of course, none of this has anything to do with me. I, I, I'm i just beyond perfection in, in anything of a spiritual nature. But for ordinary people, in the words of the Rambam, Rov Kol, Adam, most people, aside from the exceptions like Rav, there's surely no objection. To uh, engaging in frivolous conversation, uh, if that's if that's what you enjoy, fine. As long as you're not the king, who's not, the king is not allowed to engage in frivolous conversation. But as long as you're not the king, and as long as you are in general engaged in Torah and mitzvahs, and before uh, and after you're going to be engaged in Torah and mitzvahs, then, then the frivolous speech in the middle is perfectly acceptable. Well. Similarly, uh, uh, other frivolous activities that you might wish to engage in just because they're fun, just because uh, you enjoy them, all fall into the same category. Now, uh, of course, one can always strive uh, for, uh, for perfection. The, the, the question of whether one can pray for perfection is an interesting question. Um, uh, the, the the rabbis have a lot to say about praying for perfection. Uh, it's it surely it's surely correct to ask God's help. It's surely correct to ask God's help for my own perfection. To help God to ask God to help me to do juva, to help me to perfect myself. That's surely that's surely uh, that's surely correct. And and that's one of the ikarim, one of the foundations of prayer, and there's no doubt about that. What is, however, highly controversial is uh, whether or not it makes any sense to pray for someone else to be spiritually perfect. Does it make any sense to pray for someone else to repent? Does it make any sense to pray for someone else to do tshuva? After all, Spiritual perfection is something which I must choose to do. You must make the decision for yourself. This is not something you can decide for someone else. Uh, and therefore, just as uh, I cannot decide for you, that you shall uh, endeavor to rise in the ladder of spiritual perfection. That's something you have to decide to do. That's something you have to motivate yourself to do. Similarly, I can't ask God to help you do it because it's something you have to do yourself. And therefore, praying for oneself to achieve a better life. That, that, that's great. That's largely, largely what prayer is about. As uh, Reb Hirsch, the great uh, uh, leader of the 19th century, pointed out And in this particular point, uh, Rav Cook agreed with him entirely. Uh, Prayer, in the words of the Gemara, prayer is avodah shebelev. Let's get that in the chat. Uh, 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 The Gemara calls prayer avodah shebeleiv. That's true, that has to do with, with physically helping people. Not, not with praying, that they do tshuva. Of course, I, 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 can, I, I can pray that someone be healed. I can pray that someone find livelihood. I can pray that someone uh, find a, a shidduch, find a mate. I can pray for all kinds of things that are, are, of course, correct. But to pray that he, that he repent, to pray that she improves herself spiritually, that's something which only he or she can do. And no one can help you. The the, the Gemara says that prayer is avodah shabalev. I have it typed correctly on chat for you. Rabbi Shishonoff and Rav uh, Cook both understand this as meaning work on your heart. Prayer is an exercise which improves your heart. If you pray, you will improve your own heart. That's what prayer is all about. If you pray, if you pray, you will be a better person, and uh, and uh, uh, so of course, of course, one of the things that it's correct to pray about is to rise in the ladder of spirituality, uh, uh, to do to be to, to be able to do tshuva, to repent, to come closer to God. That's of course, of course, a correct prayer about yourself. Whether it's correct about other people is highly controversial. Okay. Um, uh, we understand the point of the Rambam. The point of the Rambam is that uh, 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 speech between husband and wife when they are together in bed is not in the category of frivolous speech because that's part of the mitzvah, part of the uh, marital obligations between spouses. Uh, And uh, aside from that, other speech, which truly is frivolous, people just enjoy having a conversation with friends. People just enjoy having a conversation with neighbors or relatives or whatever. If it's just an enjoyable conversation, as long as you're not the
0: king, it's okay. Let's go one step further. Yeah, sure. As I pointed out, this business about praying for others is controversial. There are those who hold
1: that you can pray only for your own spiritual perfection, not for others. Uh, this is a controversial matter. Praying for others' uh, uh, salvation, whether it be in health, uh, Karnasa, uh, uh, or any other, any other matters, of course, correct. So, let's look. We should have once a series of Shi'urim about prayer. Let's look at the words of the Mi'iri. We have seen the meiri a number of times. The uh, was one of the great Rishonin who, who's particularly important because he succeeded in summarizing, he succeeded in bringing together the opinions of most of the great medieval authorities. Let's see what he says on our issue. One should always be careful not to sit in the corners that's where the frivolous people sit while they're playing checkers or whatever it is they're doing uh, to engage themselves in frivolous activities. You shouldn't sit among them. One should always be careful not to speak about useless, uh, purposeless things. One should speak only about things that are important to speak about. Amru, they said in the Gemara, Hasach over over anyone who engages in profane speech, I don't mean uh, using bad words, anyone who engages in speech which is not of a religious nature, not of a spiritual nature, profane, in the sense of not religious, anyone who engages in profane speech, not religious speech, uh, uh, discussing the stock market or or or, or 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 the weather or anything else, that person is guilty of violating a mitzvah of the Tara. It says in the Torah, the dibartabam in, in, in Kriyashma, it says the Dibartabam, you have to speak of them, you have to speak of the words of Tara and anyone who 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 uh, instead of speaking about the words of Torah instead. Uh, speaks with his friend or his neighbor about the weather, or, or about the stock market, or about some frivolous, uh, any any non-Torah topic, is guilty of violating the commandment of the Torah, because what you should be speaking about at the moment is Torah, and you're not, you're, you're engaged in frivolous conversation about the weather, or, substitute any other frivolous activity you wish, you're reading uh, uh, a, a spy thriller, uh, or uh, you're playing a game of checkers, uh, during those moments in time, you're neglecting the commandment of the Torah to study Torah, to be engaged in Torah. The, the commandment of the Torah is to study Torah and not to be engaged in useless, frivolous activities. Now, now it's quite clear, is it not, that the Me'iri is taking a very strict position at variance with everything we've seen up till this point. Because everything we've seen up till this point, uh, if not encouraging us, uh, the the sources we've seen surely do not encourage us to engage in frivolous activities, uh, reading the latest thriller or playing checkers. Is checkers just something that, is that an example which reveals my generation? A substitute for checkers, uh, whatever the video game is that people are playing nowadays, uh, 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 Up until this point, uh, surely no one has encouraged us to engage in frivolous activity, but it was okay. It's okay as long as you're not the king and as long as you are indeed engaged in Torah. During other times of the day, the Iri says, no, 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 no. Every moment that you lose from engagement in Torah is a violation of the commandment which says you must be engaged in Torah, and therefore no good, no good. All frivolous activity is simply prohibited, according to the Me'iri. Now, there's a very strict, uh, strict uh, opinion, and, and, and he holds this is not some rabbinic advice. Uh, this is the commandment of the Torah itself, as we see in a verse in Kriyashma. The Dibartabah is a verse that we say uh, every day in Kriyashma, tw- at least twice a day in Kriyashma. And this is not just some rabbinic advice. This is the commandment of the Torah according to the Mi'iri. Now, now let's see if we can understand how other Poskim, after all, the vast majority of the Poskim clearly are not agreeing with this. The vast majority of Poskim have clearly given their approval to some frivolous activity. Well, what are the vast majority of Poskim going to say when they're confronted with what seems to be a simple, straightforward proof? by the Me'iri, that all frivolous activity is guilty, makes you, any frivolous activity makes you guilty of violating the Torah commandment, that you should always be engaged in Torah. Well, let's see what they say. Uh, the, the Or Sameach, Rav uh, Mea Simcha Hakon, the great Rav of Dvinsk, uh, before World War I, Dvinsk was a major Jewish center. I guess the town is still there, but uh, uh, probably not many Jews left there. But before the Holocaust, Dvinsk was a major was a major East European center. the uh, Meir uh, was the Rav there. He he begins by quoting the Gemara upon which the Meiri in the previous screen is based. Here's the Gemara. The Gemara says anyone who engages in frivolous conversation as opposed to Kodesh, anyone who engages in any conversation which is not Kodesh, not spiritual in nature, over is guilty of violating the commandment of the Torah, as it says in the Torah of Edibartabam. This is the Talmudic passage upon which the Me'iri in the previous screen is based, And it seems like a a definitive argument. I mean, it's such a simple, straightforward argument leading directly to the conclusion that any activity, engagement in any activity which is not Kodesh, engagement in any activity which is not spiritual, simply prohibited. That would seem to be simple, straightforward conclusion from the Gemara and fairly definitively proven. Here, here's what the Or says about this. Ine, behold, nire. It seems Derava Azil in Kriyash umuki This Gemara, this passage in the Gemara, is assuming that our daily obligation to recite Shema Yisrael is of rabbinic origin. And what the verse in the Torah means, the dibartabam, means you must speak of Kodesh words, you must speak spiritual words, you must speak Torah words day in, day out, all the time. But that's not the way we hold. That's not the correct halacha. Aval, however, according to the correct halacha, which we all embrace today, according to the karit talacha, which all the poskim agree to, a kriyashma koi. Everyone agrees, the poskim all agree, that the words dibartabam in the Pasuk do not mean you shall always speak of words of Torah. Instead, these words mean you shall recite kriyashma twice a day the obligation, the mitzvah of reciting Kriyashma is not the Rabbanan, is not the rabbinic origin. The obligation of reciting Kriyashma is itself of Torah origin. That's what the verse means. The verse means, the Dibartabam, you shall recite Krishma twice a day. Uh, and therefore, the entire drusha of the Gemara, the entire point of the Gemara, That someone who engages in frivolous speech is guilty of violating the commandment of Dibartabam, you should be engaged in words of Torah, collapses, the entire Drasha fails. This is an opinion in the Gemara, but it's not the opinion which is embraced by all of the Poskim, because all the Poskim, all the Kriyashma, the mitzvah Kriyashma is minatara, is learned from the verse, the and therefore the verse, the cannot mean. You shall always speak words of Torah and never speak uh, secular words. So this opi- the opinion exists in the Gemara. That secular speech, uh, uh, non-spiritual speech is always prohibited. That opinion exists in the Gemara. That is an opinion which is embraced by the Me'iri, who, who was a heavyweight. I, I don't wish to minimize the importance of the Me'iri. But all the other rabbis understand the verse differently. All the other rabbis understand the verses' meaning. You have to say Kriyashma twice a day. All the other rabbis do not understand the verse the way the Meiri and this passage in the Gemara did. They do not understand the verse as meaning that you have to speak all day only about Torah, and therefore you're prohibited from speaking about non-Torah subjects. Now, now the, 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 there's a bigger point here that deserves observation. The bigger point here is that whenever you learn a passage in the Gemara, whenever you learn a passage in the Gemara, you must be very careful in drawing practical halachic conclusions. Just because an opinion exists in the Gemara does not necessarily mean that that opinion is binding upon us. It's always possible that there's another opinion somewhere else in the Gemara. It's always possible that there are other opinions expressed uh, elsewhere in rabbinic literature. And therefore, in drawing conclusions about what is correct and incorrect behavior, drawing conclusions about what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do, based on a single passage in the Gemara, is always very dangerous, and therefore, if you do wish to draw conclusions from the Gemara about what to do, what not to do, what is correct behavior, what is incorrect behavior, you must be guided by the great Poskim, uh, look at the Rambam, look at the Shohanarach, look at the Mishnabruah, look at the great postkim who had in mind not only the specific passage you're looking at at the moment, but had in mind the bigger, pic, the bigger picture of other passages in the Gemara which might express different ideas leading to the, the need to, to make some kind of decisions about which passages are the definitive ones. Well, uh, the Me'iri, uh, embraced this position. All the other great rabbis didn't. Um, uh, I want to get into the question of, uh, of um, circuses and uh, that's going to help us uh, have an approach to everything from uh, playing pool to bowling uh, uh, and, and everything else, uh, uh, every other kind of, uh, of game, whether it be the, the opera or Shakespeare or just going to the movies. Uh, let's see the words of the Mishnaburah. The, the, the actual source is on the, on the previous screen. Uh, but uh, let's these are the words of the Mishnaburah. It says in, in the Shulchanach, Shulchanach is just quoting the Gemara. The Gemara is just quoting the Book of Psalms, in the beginning of the Book of Psalms, that you should not sit in Moshe of You should not sit in the uh, congregation of scoffers. You should not sit together with the frivolous people who waste their time in non-spiritual activities. Uh, now, 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 what does that mean for us? Here are the words of the Mishnah Brewer. Kol Shakane, All the more so is it prohibited, if you're not allowed to associate with frivolous people, all the more so is it prohibited, the All the more so is it prohibited to go to the theater or to circuses. Ah, now, now this passage in the Mishnaburah saying that it is flat out prohibited to go to the theater and go to circuses is a, uh, uh, is a passage which I frequently hear quoted, as you know, I live in a holy neighborhood which is wall to wall Haredim, I frequently hear the words of the Mishnah Brewer quoted as being a simple, flat-out prohibition. You're not allowed to go to the theater. Well, there's Shakespeare down the tubes, and and, and if Shakespeare is down the tubes, because you're not allowed to go to the theater, well, there's no conceptual difference between that and a movie, is there? All the movies are equally prohibited, and circuses as well. Uh, Israel, uh, where I live, uh, has no, uh, no permanent circus. There is no permanent circus. It's a small country, Israel. Uh, But there are circuses which travel around the world and frequently make stops in Israel. And one sees the advertisements, uh, such and such an Italian circus is going to be passing through town, Uh, you know, such and such a circus is going to be visiting on certain days, and you can buy tickets and take the children. Well, in, in my neighborhood, this passage is frequently quoted as a flat-out prohibition to attend the circus, that's what the Mishnah Brewer says. Uh, just as he says, you're not allowed to attend the theater. These are prohibited frivolous activities. And now, the Mishnah Brewer, of course, did not invent this idea. Well, as with everything else in the Mishnah Brewer, the ideas are based on earlier sources, uh, and this particular this particular idea is based on a clear uh, passage in the Gemara in tractate of Zarah, Dach Yud where the Gemara mentions flat out theaters and circuses as being prohibited. Now, uh, uh, anyone anyone who knows anything about language, about the history, the development, and evolution of language, everyone knows that words change their meaning in the course of time. Anyone who has read Shakespearean English knows that the words don't always have the same meaning in Shakespearean English as they do in modern English. This is true of anyone. It doesn't matter what country you come from. If you come from the United States and read, read the founding documents of the uh, of the United States, the, the the Declaration of Independence, or whatever country you come from, if you read the old documents uh, from your country from hundreds of years ago, uh, uh, everyone knows that the meaning of certain words has changed. Uh, that's the nature of language, that words change. Indeed, the rabbis were keenly aware of this because they often tell us L'shon Mikra Lehud L'shon Lehud uh, the, the, the rabbis were keenly aware of this Because they always tell us, Lashon Mikra Lahud, here you have it spelled correctly on chat, that the meaning of certain words in Mikra in Biblical Hebrew is not necessarily the same as the meaning of the same word in Lashon Chachamim in the Mishnah and Gemara in the course of time. The meaning of words sometimes changes. And uh, one has to be aware of that. If you're dealing with historical texts, you have to be aware of the fact that the language has changed in the course of time. And, 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 And a mistake, an anachronism, a mistake, would be to take the modern meaning of a word and try to plug it in to an older text where that meaning doesn't belong. This is particularly a problem with modern Israeli Hebrew. Uh, People who who live here in Israel and speak modern Israeli Hebrew as their everyday language uh, are very prone to the mistake of taking the meaning of the word in modern Israeli Hebrew and understanding the Mishnah, understanding the Gemara, understanding the Rambam by using the modern Israeli Hebrew meaning of the word. Sometimes that can get you into trouble. Often words don't change their meaning, but sometimes they do. What what were theaters and circuses back in those days? Well, um, let me see if I can get this uh, text on the screen for you to look at.
0: Um, the
1: uh, uh, the circuses and the theaters back in those days were not uh, uh, were not. Um, nice places. <laughs> we're not nice places. Um, uh, back, back in the glorious days of the Roman Empire, uh, back in the glorious days of the Roman Empire, the circuses
0: were places where people watched murder taking place. The theater
1: was the place, the circus was the place where you went, where you watched gladiators fight with each other. One, one would kill the other, or if one didn't kill the other, he'd be instructed by the, by the emperor to kill his opponent. Uh, that, 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 it, it, was, uh, it was quite literally a murderous activity. Well, it, 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 back in those days, in late antiquity, in the Hellenistic period, in the days when the Gemara said what it said, not only was the circus quite literally a murderous activity, but uh, there were all kinds of of barbarity. Uh, uh, to, to take a look at the at the cruelty, take a look at the level of cruelty which was commonplace in entertainment. Back in those days, there's no reason why we have to go in detail through all of the uh, through all of the sources. The text which we have before us is uh, was written by William Lecky. Uh, all he did was to collect uh, all of the information from the classical sources themselves, and giving you know, a footnote on every little point, uh, directing you to the precise classical source that he has for each bit of information. He just put it together in an orderly way for us. But There's nothing new about this information. This is the way life was in the late antiquity. Uh, the pagans were not nice people. Uh, this is what they were doing for entertainment. Now, when the Gemara says, and the Mishnaburah quotes the Gemara, when the Gemara says that you're not allowed to go to a circus, this, what you have on the screen at the moment, this is what they were talking about. Now, it's quite clear, is it not, that there's a world of difference between the Roman circus, which was a, a, an exercise in evil, uh, which was, um, uh, uh, the Roman circus is bad. I, I mean, it's just hard, hard to imagine anything worse. than the the immorality of the Roman circus. It was really bad. It was evil. That's what the Gemara was talking about when it said, you shouldn't attend the circus. There's a world of difference. There's a world of difference between the evils of the Roman circus, which the rabbis advise us to distance ourselves from. And uh, some contemporary, uh, t- 21st century Roman, uh, 21st century Roman circus today, a modern, contemporary Italian circus, which is traveling through the Near East and stops in Israel and sets up their tents, and they have jugglers, and they have acrobats, and and they have horseback riders, and they do all the things which modern, uh, contemporary, uh, uh, modern contemporary. Uh, circuses do. That's not what they were talking about in the Gemara. They were talking about going to the to the circus to witness, uh, uh, to be entertained by murder and uh, a vast number of cruel, uh, cruel uh, indignities which you can read about yourself on the screen. Uh, It follows therefore that uh, the prohibition of circuses and so forth in the Mission of Brewer does not have application in the contemporary Western circuses that we know today. No application there at all, and therefore no particular reason to prohibit the modern circus. Now, of course, of course, there is some concern. Of course, there is some concern that uh, there might be um, some, some uh, immodesty in the circus performances. There might be some immodesty. There might be ladies who are not dressed according to our standards. That might well be true. Uh, here in, in Israel, when, the, when European circuses are traveling through the Near East, uh, well, you know, Israel is not the only country in the Near East which has standards of dress a little bit different from European standards, and therefore, when when European circuses come traveling through Israel, and the next stop is going to be Jordan, and then they'll make it to Saudi Arabia, and so forth and so on, when, when European circuses travel through the Near East, the ladies are all dressed. In a way that we would consider correct and proper, in a way that's modest according to our standards, and therefore, as far as those particular circuses are concerned, there wouldn't be a problem of immodesty in dress. But of course, that 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 could be a very real problem in circuses in Europe, North America, other places in the uh, in the Western
0: world today. That might or might not be a problem in specific cases. Yes, indeed, the Mishnah Brura was written just over 100 years ago, published just over 100 years ago. But
1: what he is prohibiting is attending a circus. In the words of the Gemara, when he, a circus means what you have on the screen at the moment before you, which has uh, no particular connection. So it happens to be the same word, aside from being the same word, has no particular connection with the jugglers, the, the tightrope walkers, and the, um, the trapeze artists. Of uh, of uh,
0: contemporary circuses. Let's go back to our text here, which now I have to widen to fit the screen again. There we go. Okay. Um, if the circus
1: is an is a murderous, cruel event, as in Roman times, don't go. I oh, no. hope. <laughs> I I hope that you don't need the Mishnah Brura to tell you about that. Then he goes on and says as follows. He's still the words of the Mishnah Brewer. Even on Purim, there is no leniency. On Purim, the only frivolity which we allow is frivolity which will cause us to remember Ahasverus and the whole story of Esther.
0: The Avonoteinu amongst our many sins, kayom nowadays.
1: Dava hefka. Nowadays, uh, this matter among our many sins, nowadays this has become uh, so commonplace. Hefka, it's become so commonplace among the Jewish people to engage in prohibited, Frivolous activity, some people have 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 become so so engaged in these activities that they commonly teatrot. Some people are commonly going to the theater. And the pasuk in the Torah shouts and cries against this the jews should not rejoice like the non-jews do like the nations do they enjoy themselves by going to the theater so you should not now uh, the, in, uh, in, uh, in in uh, in uh, in i don't know what was going on in the theaters in the small villages in eastern i don't know if, I don't know if they had theaters in the small villages in eastern europe but uh, let's uh, let's see if we can have an approach to understanding how this might apply to uh, the contemporary theater, to contemporary drama. Uh, I, 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 everyone knows, I hope everyone is familiar with the greatness of Shakespeare. Shakespeare, the all time greatest writer in the English language. Shakespeare, the creator of modern literature, Shakespeare, largely the creator of modern men, uh, uh, the praises of Shakespeare cannot be exaggerated. You know, you get the idea, I like Shakespeare. Now, not everyone agrees with me. Uh, Some people out there don't like Shakespeare. Uh, uh, Among the people who do not like Shakespeare was none other than the, the great Voltaire. Voltaire, 18th century, 18th century France, Voltaire was a great thinker. Voltaire, Voltaire, well, Voltaire was great. You know, I don't know if you read newspapers or if you know what's going on in the world out there nowadays, but nowadays there's a a movement in in, in America, there's a, a movement to remove from public places the names of some great personalities from the past who turn out to not only have been great personalities, but also turn out to have been racists. And uh, there were people who would like the names of these people removed from public places because as great as they may have been, they were also racists or slave owners or whatever, and we surely uh, uh, don't want to praise them for that. I, I always look at things from the Jewish point of view. If we would remove from history, Everyone who anti-Semitic, everyone who hated the Jews, would I mean, be very few, very few people left out there in history. Voltaire, as great as he may have, as great as he was, he was a great thinker, but he was also a very strong anti-Semite. He really didn't like the Jews. Uh, um, uh, not only did Voltaire dislike the Jews heartily. Not only did he have a hearty dislike for the Jews, Voltaire also didn't like Shakespeare. Now, now this is the same Voltaire who, who did, in general, enjoy going to the theater in London. Voltaire lived in London for a period of his life. He, he fled from France. He didn't like him in France, so he spent a lot of his life in in London. And, and when he was in London, he, he enjoyed going to the theater. He loved British theater. Although he did indeed appreciate and love British theater, he couldn't stand Shakespeare. The reason he didn't like Shakespeare, as he explains, among the many great works of Voltaire is a volume entitled Les Lettres Philosophiques, a series of letters that he wrote on philosophical matters. One of those letters, in Les Lettres Philosophiques, one of them, in that volume of philosophical letters, is his argument against Shakespeare. The reason he didn't like Shakespeare is Shakespeare, according to him, him, is just a string of one violent event after another, gratuitous violence, unnecessary killing, unnecessary maiming, unnecessary violence, One play after another, and Voltaire didn't like that. Okay, uh, he's entitled to his opinion, but most of us value Shakespeare greatly. Most of us think there's a lot to be learned from Shakespeare. Now, uh, uh, the the, the theaters and the circuses, which the Mishnah Brura and all of the traditional sources are fighting against, are the evil immoral institutions of late antiquity which did continue for quite a period into the middle ages as well. It is the immoral uh, uh, cruelty of the classic theater that, the, that our rabbinic sources are fighting against. Uh, whether this has to do with Shakespeare or not brings us to the controversy between Voltaire and all of the other commentators on Shakespeare, Voltaire was happy to lump Shakespeare together with uh, uh, productions of gratuitous violence of no, of no intellectual value at all. Uh, other people, uh, like me, uh, I don't wish to compare myself with Voltaire. He was a great anti-Semite. But uh, other people, like me, uh, perceive a lot of value in Shakespeare. Let's go one step further with the words of the Mishnah Brewer. This is still uh, the Mishnah Brewer. Uh, going to the theater might lead to another problem. The other problem is Yetzer Hala. That's the Mishnah Brewer's polite way of saying eroticism. The theater might be pornographic. The theater might be erotic in nature. And that was surely true about classical theater in the days of the Roman Empire. That was surely true about theater in the Middle Ages. And is surely still true today about a certain segment of theater. Well, if the entertainment that we're talking about, if the enjoyable activity we're talking about, if the uh, frivolous activity we're talking about is erotic in nature, if it's pornographic, well, that's a, that, that, that's clearly that's clearly a problem. It's not the frivolousness of the activity which is bad. It's not the it's not the secular nature of the activity which is bad, it's the erotic nature of it which is bad. No, no complicated arguments are necessary in order to demonstrate that there's something wrong with pornography. Of course, people might disagree about what is pornographic and what has deep value to it, just as people might disagree about whether or not Shakespeare Exhibits gratuitous violence, or whether there's some point to it, something to be learned from it. But if the event is a pornographic one, then of course, of course, uh, of, course, of, course of course, of course, that's prohibited. Uh, and that's what the Gemara says. Mishnah quotes the Gemara: "Kol Anyone who is mitlodetz engages in activities in the theater. Which uh, attends the theater, which is erotic in nature, is going to end up in hell. And he quotes a series of other verses Zayd Yahir, let Osab Evra Zodon. Anyone who in, who attends the pornographic theater uh, uh, is going to end up in trouble. Ain Evra Eladehinom. This means you're going to end up in hell. And he quotes one verse after another, one source after another, emphasizing the same point. Uh, Well, I hope that uh, there's no need for us here, in this context, to emphasize the problematic nature of something which is pornographic. Of course it's bad, of course it's wrong, Uh, uh, but if we're talking about an activity which is not pornographic, if it's not an erotic event, uh, if there's some uh, profundity to it, some depth to it, if it's just an enjoyable, frivolous activity, and you're not the king. If you're the king, of course, you cannot attend. But if you're not the king, and it's just uh, uh, an opportunity to enjoy yourself without any specific sin involved, because there's nothing pornographic and nothing erotic there, then we've seen all the sources that support that. Um, what we're going to do uh, next time is deal with museums, attending museums or, uh, uh, or, or looking at things. Up until now, we've been talking about listening, uh, listening uh, or reading or engaging in sports, engaging in games. Uh, next time we're going to talk about attending uh, museums, and then I hope we're going to get to the discussion of specific games like chess and other games like that. I hope we'll get to that next week. Uh, until then, I wish you a good week, and look Shabbat Shalom,
0: of course, and look forward to seeing you all again a week from uh, today. Until then, Shalom Shalom.